Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's good to see you here today. A lot are gone today, but some are back, and we are happy about that. And uh, Ricky and, and Abby, it's good to see you here. We've missed you. I uh, missed you a lot. And it's good to have Jonathan's sister here with us. She has a very articulate in the way that she presents things, and we're happy about that. Bill and Brent and Nola, we're glad you're here today also. It's so good to see Vanessa back with us. Vanessa looks wonderful. Although, be careful of having a back surgery because it will change the color of your hair. I didn't hardly recognize her when she came in. I thought one was running around. I want to talk to you today about six ways to encourage others. And of course, when we're talking about encouragement, one of the things that you look at is it starts with an attitude, doesn't it? A man stopped to watch a little league baseball game and he asked one of the youngsters what the score was. We're losing 18 to nothing was the answer. Well, said the man, I must say, you don't look discouraged. Discouraged, the boy puzzled. Why would we be discouraged? We haven't even been up to bat. <laughs> so, it starts with an attitude. So, our six ways to encourage one another, and in our reading this morning, Acts 4, 32 through 37, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the possessed proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite native, uh, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Wouldn't you like to be nicknamed Son of Encouragement? That guy is encouraging. I would like for people to think that about me, and sometimes I'm afraid that I don't accomplish what I tr try to set out to do, and that is encourage people. Barnabas taught more from his actions than even his word. Now, he preached the word of God, but he was always there to encourage others. And we're going to see that some in this lesson today. But we need desperately to encourage one another. And the first thing that came to my mind about encouraging one another was the coming together. You know, the coming together, even if it's one or two, is really encouraging. I meet with George once a week. We sit in our, my study and we study together. And I get aggravated at him at times. I mean, he is a person that you could just strangle at times. But he is very encouraging to me. He encourages me and I hope I encourage him because we have a good time together as we study the Word of God. 
And that's so of all of the others that I study with, that it is a very encouraging time. I study with Gary, and that's encouraging to me. When we come together, that's an encouraging time. Do you remember what he says over in Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 23 through 25? Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We encourage each other because, number one, I see that you are interested in the same thing that I'm interested in, and that's the Word of God. We are interested in that, and that is encouraging when I find people coming together that all of a sudden I am encouraged because of that. Sometimes you don't feel good, and you come to services, and afterward you feel better because the brethren encouraged you. Now, I've been to congregations where it was not encouraging at all, and you left worse off than when you first came. But hopefully that's not true here. We come together to encourage one another. I look at John and Linda Seltonwright, and I think, boy, how much they have encouraged me through the years. Now, we've seen hard times. We've seen good times. We've seen all kinds of times together. Even though we've been far apart, we have encouraged one another in the work that we're in. And so this encouragement, and one of the things it does is when we come together, it encourages each member to be closer to each other, but especially to God. And when we do that, you just, something inside of you soars. And so this is why the assembling is so important. Assembling is important because we get something from one another because we're interested in the same things, that is, to glorify God. And it encourages the teacher. Do you realize how much time a teacher puts in studying in order to present it to you so that you are encouraged? Well, I don't know whether you really do. It takes me about 10 minutes to get a lesson together and then I share that with you. But it's encouraging to the teacher to have you here, to have you give the feedback and one of the things, it would be very hard to preach if we had nobody to preach to. And so it's encouraging just seeing you sitting out there, listening, and hopefully getting something out of the Word of God. And it encourages your, yourself. You know, when you, when you decide that you're going to do something, you know, when you go to work every day, when you decide every morning to go, you have accomplished what you're wanting to do, and you're encouraged because that has become a routine with you. But most of all, it pleases God. When we come together, it pleases God. And if that's the goal, then we ought to say, I want to make every effort to be at the services. I don't know, John and Linda go to the Vista congregation, and I don't know what it's like on Wednesday night but sometimes that can be a little bit discouraging because there's not many there. Do you have as many on Sunday morning and Wednesday night? No. Well, we're up with you. So uh, that can be discouraging, can't it? But it's encouraging even if one or two of you so show up. And so I want to look at five ways now that Barnabas encouraged others.
Number one, he was a good steward. He, was, he took the stewardship that God had given him and God puts all of these things, all of these, this money that we have, he puts us in charge of that and says, I want you to be good stewards. And to be good stewards means that I'm going to spend that in the way that God wants me to. I have not always been a good steward at all. And of course, you pay the price for that when you don't do what God says. Over in Acts, the fourth chapter in verse 36 and 37, thus Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now he could have kept that money and he did not have to give it. But he saw the need and he knew that what the Lord wanted him to do was share that which he had. And he gave it and put it at the apostles' feet and said, now distribute that to anybody that has need. And that's really what the collection is for, is to give to those that have need, especially the saints that we're talking about. And it is also to pay the preacher. It's, it's about people. That's what the Lord's giving is about. It's about people. The Lord doesn't need one dime. The gospel is going to be preached whether or not we have money or not. The gospel will be preached. But one of the things that this does, it opens our heart. It opens our heart to the preaching. It opens our heart to the other people that are lost. It opens our heart that we want so badly to get the gospel out. And that's the main task of the church is to get the gospel out. We want it to go as we're supporting a fellow in Georgia. We're there giving money to him and he is a laborer for us and we ought to be praying about this individual. Keith Tyre is his name. And so as we think of that, this one was a, a, a somebody that could give. Some people seem to think that we come together and all of our giving ought to be a secret. You know what? I believe the elders ought to know what you give. I think that they ought to watch for your soul in every way that they can. I want people to know that I am giving. I don't particularly want them to know how much I'm giving. But I want them to know that I am giving by faith. Isn't that really what God says we're to do? We're to do everything by faith. And by faith means that I have searched the word of God, found out what he wants me to give, how we are to give, and certainly give that way. And if I can't give, then I need to talk with the elders and tell them I can't give and this is why I can't give. Do you think that that would be the right thing to do? Because if you can't give, usually you are in need. I think that that's one thing that lacks is the communication between the elders and the members that they ought to know why you can't give. And they ought to know whether you are giving by faith. And if you're not giving by faith, then a study ought to go on to where you can see what the Word of God really says. And I'm afraid many times this doesn't happen. 
If you can't give, then follow the apostles' example. In Acts, the third chapter, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, and said, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I rise up and walk, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. Many of us do not have a lot of money. But what kind of talent do you have? When you see people come in and all of a sudden they are smiling, and smiling so big, it's they're giving you something that is precious that money cannot buy. Whenever they grab hold of you and shake your hand, they're giving you something that money can't buy. When they give you that hug and say, I love you, they're giving you something that money can't buy. You don't have to have money to be able to give. You do have to give what you have for others. And if you don't give that, then there's robbery that's taking place. Think about the talents that you have. I asked Cade this morning whether he leads singing. He said, well, sometimes, but not for this many. Well, I said, well, you're just the prime suspect for uh, Wednesday night when we don't have a lot and Jordan doesn't show up and, the, and we get stuck with me. We're not going to be stuck with me if Cade's going to hear. He's going to lead singing for us. And so you better be here on Wednesday night, Cade. This is the one thing that we need to look at. He said, I have something more precious, and all of us do, than our money. I don't care how much money you have, there's something more precious than that. And that's you. When you give yourself to somebody else, and you give your time, do you realize that's one thing you can't get back and nobody can pay it back to you? When I give my time to you, you can't get that back. It can't be paid back. And that's what we ought to do with one another. I love the time that we get to spend with each other. That's one thing. When I'm studying, sometimes I get focused and I stay out too long. And my wife comes and says, I need attention. I need your time. And that's the time we need to break and say, you know, that's what I can give. That's what I need. And if that's what she needs, that's what I'm going to give. I've seen so many people do that for me. And I appreciate so much the time that you have given to me. Appreciate it so much. And this had to encourage the lame man, but it also encouraged the others around him. When you see that giving is going on, and I don't mean that we're to sound a trumpet or anything when we're giving somebody something, but when others find out, do you know when you give, Usually it gets out by the person that's been given to. 
You don't have to tell anybody. It just goes out and everybody knows that you're giving, that you have a giving heart. I have thought many times, I know of nobody any more giving than Sherry French. She has given so much to so many and nobody knows about it, but you know now. I'm not telling who or when or what, but she gives. And the second thing that Barnabas did is he extended friendship. Have you ever went to school that first day, didn't know anybody, and felt like you were just out of place? Have you ever went to a congregation? You have. Abby has done that. Well, she's not going to be that way very long with her personality. She will befriend somebody very quickly. The apostle, but Barnabas extended friendship. In Acts 9, 26 and 27, and when he had come to Jerusalem, that's Paul, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. He befriended the new Christian. This guy that came in, Barnabas said, let me be your friend. Let me take you. Let me take the responsibility. Let me be the one that is the greeter of you, introduces you to other people, and that becomes wonderful. You know, when we have visitors, one of the things that you get an impression about a congregation is how friendly are they. I went to Ventura not too long ago, and they were so friendly to me that I would certainly go back because you have people that cares. Have you ever had somebody take you under their wing? I mean, just grab hold of you and say, let me show you around. Let me introduce you. That's one of the things that hopefully we do in this congregation is we show other people that we care about them, that we are friendly, and we should welcome our visitors. You know, there's an old rule. If you want friends, how do you get them? Be friendly. Nobody wants to come around somebody that's unfriendly. You feel like you're invading their space. It was wonderful to see John and Linda get out of their car this morning and to be able to hug both of them and tell them how glad I was to see them. And they said they were glad to see me. Well, I don't know about that, but I was telling the truth. And the third thing is to build partnerships. This is so lacking in the church. I believe that we ought to have partners. First of all, we are partners with the Lord Jesus Christ and with God. That's our fellowship that we have. But the fellowship that you and I have is that we have joined in partnership in such a way that we are trying to glorify God above everything else. And we both know it.
Fellowship, as I have said, can be described as two fellows in a ship that are rowing towards the same goal. That we have agreed to be in that boat together. That boat being the church, we have agreed to be in a fellowship with each other and striving forward to glorify God in everything that we do. And I think where we fall down is if you notice something in Acts, the second chapter, those disciples, they even had a social, and I'm not preaching a social gospel, but they had a social gathering from house to house. They ate their food with singleness and gladness of heart. That is, they had people in their homes. And I think many times that's lacking. The only time we see each other is right here. We don't sit down and have a cup of coffee. We don't sit down and say, I want to just sit down and talk with you. Oh, I love the one-on-one -on -one things. But if you notice something, we seem uncomfortable sometimes to be around each other. You know why? They're going to see how I keep house. Oh, if you're coming to see my house, maybe you're missing me. I want so badly to have association with people. But that is hard when people don't want to associate with you. That's just a thought. I'm not saying that you have to get into all of that. Build the partnerships. They exhorted them to continue in the Lord. How many times when we come together, one, what have you studied about this week? I looked into uh, faith. You studied about what? Faith. Faith. He's been studying about faith. You know what? You've done better than some members. You studied. We need to be challenged. How many people have you talked to the Lord about this week? Well, how are we going to come? How many people have you influenced this week? And I'll guarantee you, you've influenced people one way or the other, in a negative way or a positive way. This getting together, this idea of us being in a partnership, we become bridge builders. People feel alone and they need to feel like somebody cares. What was it that said about Jesus as he saw the multitude wandering around like sheep without a shepherd? It says he had compassion upon them. How many lonely people are there in the world? How many lonely people do you come in contact with every day? And how many lonely people are in the church? Now, some people are lonely because they want to be lonely. But some people are shy and they do not want to be alone, but they are. And we ought to recognize that. Have you called one of the other brothers this week? Have you called anybody? Gary, did you call anybody this week? I know that you did. Don't look up at the ceiling. You called one. Well, that's... Huh? You called one person. Yes. That was me. Oh, you didn't even count me? 
Well, you called me. I knew that you'd count, uh, called me. Do you think that the members ought to be in contact with each other? We've lost the ability to write anymore. We have to email everybody. But have you emailed anybody? Have you just said, you know what? I want you to know that I'm thinking about you. Well, if we haven't, we've got a long way to go. He was building a partnership in the Lord. We are connected because of the Lord. I don't think many of us realize how important the Lord's Supper is in connecting us. Because it does. The Lord's death connects us. The same blood that flows in you flows in me. It's the blood of Christ. And the same thing that it took to save me of my millions of sins, it took to save your one sin, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ. And our focus is upon that, and we ought to talk about that. The one thing that I have noticed more than anything else in conversations is people don't want to talk about the Bible. That's what we ought to talk about. We ought to be able, now I don't mean that we can't have other conversations, but our main focus is upon the Lord. And then, in Acts 11, and 23, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. When somebody is baptized, what do we do? Rejoice. Hopefully we say, welcome. We are so glad that you are a part of us and so glad that you're in the Lord and so glad that you and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray about this and let's, let's celebrate. The celebration ought to be as individuals come up out of that water and we stand here and we always have a prayer, but I want them to know how close they are to me and what a joy it is to have them as a brother. So this building partnerships, it means that we can depend upon each other. Do you realize that's what happens in marriage? You get married and you learn to depend upon that other person. When I can't depend upon anybody else, I can depend upon that person I married. And that's a great comfort. That in itself says a lot. If you can't depend upon the person you married, that's a miserable experience. When you and I are united in Jesus Christ, we are married to Him. And if we're married to Him, we're in this together. We are to be faithful to him. We are to be encouraging to one another. And one of the things he says over and over is encourage one another, build each other up, build you up. And the only way I can do that is with communication, whether verbal or nonverbal. But we have to be able to do it. How much do we really talk with each other? I treasured the time that I spend with my son John because he's a busy man. 
get to go have breakfast with him once in a while. Mike and I have spent quite a bit of time together, and I treasure that. Do brethren bug you? If they don't, something's haywire. <laughs> because we have ways that bug other people. But isn't it wonderful? If you're married, does that other person ever bug you? And she's shaking her head, yes. I would say no. <laughs> that tempers us. That makes us look and say, you know what? He or she has a fault. Maybe I do too. Maybe I can overlook this. Doesn't the Bible say to be patient, forgiving, and so on? Well, why not do it? People say, how do you do that? Well, just do it. Somebody said, I wish I could have the faith you do. Well, go ahead. You can do it. You can have the faith. Just do it and be friendly. And then develop leadership skills. In Acts, the 11th chapter, verse 25 and 26. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, that passage is a little bit hard to understand because you have two different thoughts. I'll give you both of them, and you decide which one you want to take. One is that the Lord called them Christians first at Antioch. And I realize that the Lord can do that, that that is also in the passage. But I really believe that what he's saying is they first were called Christians in a derogatory way. Later on, he says, let no man be ashamed if he suffers as a Christian. You see, it would be like Timothy McVeigh. I'm a McVeighite. He says what? Well, those people are people that are following after a criminal that hung upon a cross. And so he says, when they do that, don't be ashamed. Recognize that you've been complimented, whether they realize it or not. But one of the things that he saw is the people in the church needed leaders. And they took the leadership. They helped these individuals. Can you help other people by exercising the gift that God has given you? You say, well, I don't have any gifts. You don't? Then what use are you? If you don't have any gift whatsoever, you can't smile, you can't shake hands, you can, you're just a zombie. There's not much good. Can you sing? You know what? I can't sing. I just freely admit that. But I sit there and make a squeaking noise. Why? Because that's what the Lord said to do. And you can do that too. Now I realize if you have a cold and you can come up with all these things, but can you really influence and help other people? I love to see somebody that is just singing out because they love the Lord. We used to have a man by the name of Clarence Thomas, uh, Clarence, can't remember his last name now, 
but he was a song leader here. And I loved sitting under him because he led in a different way. He would look at the song and he'd tell you to turn to a certain page and he'd hold his hand up and we always waited because he would always say, all right. Now we couldn't sing until he said, all right. But when he said that, it was time to sing. And you felt like singing because he looked like he meant it. Oh, I can remember Jordan used to be a better song leader than he is now. He used to be able to do this, but his teacher left and he can't do it anymore. Can you smile? Can you, can, can you sing with all your might? Can you let people know how glad you are to serve the Lord? I think Mary and Don Lucas are great examples of that, don't you? I'll tell you what, you just feel good when you're around Mary, and then you look at Don and say, boy, she sure brought him along. <laughs> and you know what? Jesus said, even include the children. Jesus said, I'm inviting the children to come to me. Don't stop them. I think sometimes we look over our little folks. Oh, it's wonderful to see them come out of class, hang in their little papers. And you say, you know what? We've got two great teachers back there. Three, four. Thank God. Thank God. Using their talents. And then... We need to learn to rebuild relationships. In Acts the 15th chapter, verse 36 through 41, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one on the, who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia to strengthening the churches. Two brothers get into an argument. They're upset at each other. And Barnabas said, I'm letting all that go. I want Mark to go with us. Paul was stubborn. Oh, I'm not letting them go with us. He forsook us the first time. How do you get brethren back together? Take the high road. That's how you do it. Later on, Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He is very useful to, for me in the ministry. They'd made up. They'd made up. Who started that? Well, Barnabas did. Now, why will people not first build a relationship and if, and if it falls apart, rebuild it? Do you realize how long people stay mad at each other? Oh, that's foolish. That's foolish. You don't have time to do that nonsense. Let's rebuild it. Pride stands in the way. 
and desire and determine that you're going to have a kindly affection toward that person. How do you do that? When he says, love one another, Romans 12, 10, with brotherly affection. How do I get affection for somebody like you? He said, you better. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, we become servants of one another and I love you because you're trying to serve me and I'm trying to serve you and that's a great fight to get into. Are you here this morning and are you a Christian? That's the question. You can become one right now. The baptistry's ready. And we're here and ready to let you obey the Lord. Do you believe that God loves you, that he sent his only son to die for you, and that you believe that Jesus Christ is the literal son of God, come in the flesh, and then repent of your sins, confess him to be the Christ, be baptized for the remission of your sins as you enter into the blood of Christ. Won't you come while together we stand and sing?